Hey guys, welcome to The View from the Front. My name is Stan, and this is the August 24th edition. Now normally at this point in my script, I would say, today we are talking about several topics that I think will interest you. And then I'd go in and I'd give you these various headlines, and I would say, hey, you know, this is going to happen, and I'll talk about this and this. I've got timestamps. It's going to be a great show, and on and on. But today, it's going to be a little different. We're just going to talk for a second, and then... We will get into all that news, but let's just back up a second and just talk for a second and have just kind of a real conversation. And so for the past few months, I have been trying harder and harder to make the show great. To be honest, that's probably how I would describe it. And so I would, you know, I'd had some feedback that, and it was feedback I totally agreed with. That, you know, I mean, all of us are busy. It's a TikTok world right now. All of us move at these frantic paces, and there's just so little time. And so my podcast had been running long anyway, like regularly 50 minutes to an hour. This is probably going back three to six months ago. And I was like, you know, Stan, like, you got a background in journalism. You, you know that, like, less is more. So let's really work hard. Let's use your skills and you look at all the news out there, you compress it down, and you make this just unbelievable show. And so that has been my goal the past, I don't know, at least six weeks, maybe three months. And so you guys have probably noticed some difference, and I've tried to structure it, and I'll have three sections, and I'll have, you know, I'll put music in, and I'll, I'll like, at the beginning, I'll talk about, hey, these are the news topics we're going to cover, and it's going to be a great show, and I'll really sell it, and oh, I'll work much longer than you guys probably know, but I'll work hard to come up with like these really enticing headlines so that, you know, anyone who's just like stumbling across it on the internet or on social media would be like, oh man, there's this podcast. And in this, he's talking about the Ukrainian counter offensive and there's three things he sees or this or that. And what's been happening is, is it takes just a tremendous amount of time to do this stuff. And so it would, it would take a good four or five hours I would start recording sections on Monday and Tuesday and I'd be planning the show and and I kept thinking man if I just make this a little better and and the honest truth is I know it's taken me till now to see this and and to take one more step back a couple of months ago uh, the church I go to the pastor was just just killing it but you could tell he was moving away from his prepared sermon several times. And I go to a rather large church and they uh, you know you guys have heard about my restarted faith journey some. I don't talk about it a whole lot, but you could see him struggling with wanting to follow his heart or the spirit if you're religious and this prepared sermon he had. And so he had seven points and several points as he was going through he's like I- I've got I wanted to hit two other points on this one, but I got it like the time. And I mean, the the church is big and there's two services and the time does matter. But this was the second service. There was no service after it. And so after it was done, it was still an amazing message. I've literally listened to that one three times. But I sent the the pastor an email and I, I mean, I've never even met the guy. It's that big of a church. But I was like, you know, like follow your heart. Like that message was so powerful. It was so amazing 
that I can't even tell you how much it's touched me. I've listened to it three times. I've taken notes. Like, don't worry about the clock. And maybe you got to on the first one. But, like, if people want to leave, if people are there because they want to, like, check a box and leave at noon, let them leave. Like, I mean, really? Or are those the people you're worried about? And so, you know, I mentioned a couple other things in the email to him, but it's taken me this long to realize that that email to him is the same email to me. I have tried so hard to keep this shorter. And in my mind, the last few months, I thought, if I can get it down to 30 minutes, Stan, 30 minutes, you can do this. You're a great editor. You're a great writer. 30 minutes. Exciting show. Great headlines. Great teasers. Time stamps throughout. And make this production value just unbelievable. But I'll be honest. It it hasn't felt authentic. And I would take stories with this clock running in my head that I wanted to dive into more. And I'd be like, no, I can't do it, Stan. You wanted this section on Ukraine five minutes. Or you need that section on China seven minutes or three. Only three this week because, you know, you did that one Ukrainian section too long. And I know you got these two other things. You wanted to share that one clip of an analyst saying this. And I know there was this amazing footage you wanted to talk about. But Raymond, for 30 minutes this week, Stan, and I have just fought these constrictions and these time constraints in my mind for, like I said, several months now. And I've just come to the realization that the email I sent to that pastor is the email I need to send to myself. And it's just finally become very clear to me that I am I have been killing myself to attempt to reach something that isn't what feels right. It isn't what my gut tells me. The episodes that have felt longer, I have honestly been like, man, that was that was a great episode. And I've just come to realize that I think I'm trying to do something that's not realistic on the time. And it's trying to make that production level to such a point, to reach such levels of perfection that it's making it less fun. It doesn't feel natural. I've listened to some of the stuff I've recorded, and I can hear myself rushing through it. I can hear myself literally in my mind wanting to say something else and thinking, "Eh, you don't have time to say that, Stan. I was just like that pastor, just trying to make the show fit something that was not a natural constraint. And as I was driving home today, literally, I was like, you know, I know the Jocko Willink, one of my favorite podcasts listed. I know those are two or three hours long. Let me go look and see. Just make sure I'm not crazy. And I did. And they, there are literally four-hour episodes. And I'm like, well, Joe Rogan, you know, I haven't listened to him in a while. He's, you know, he makes, obviously, one of the best podcasters out there makes a ton of money. How long are his episodes? I knew they were about two hours. But I was surprised to see they're actually like three hours There are several that are four hours. He did one with Post Malone, the rapper and singer and songwriter. Four hours, 41 minutes. And I was thinking, do you think anyone who's hearing a show about Post Malone, if you're a fan of his, or Joe Rogan, if you're a fan of his, doesn't want four hours and 41 minutes of that? No, I'd say they wanted every minute of that. I'd say they would have taken another hour or two. And so I'm starting to realize that, you know, I've been trying too hard. There's, There's no you know, professional producer helping. The music you hear, I literally found an app online that plays music, and I found a couple of notes on a violin that I liked the sound of after messing around with it, putting in a lot of sweat equity like, you know, the young entrepreneurs do. I didn't pay anyone to do that. Found the combination I wanted. I recorded. I use it. And it's like, it's almost like I have been 
so insecure, I guess, or so so worried about trying to grow the show, trying to make it perfect that I just I've been trying too hard and it's made it less fun. And so I'm just going to be me. And I'm lucky enough that the show is small enough that it's just a side hobby and it's it's not I understand. I know there are, are some people out there that prefer the short version, but I've just got to do I've got to follow my heart and I've got to follow my intuition. And so, you know, from here on out I'm going to go back to the way it was, a little bit looser, and we're just going to talk about defense news. We're going to talk about stuff happening in Ukraine, stuff happening in China. We're going to talk about our military, where our troops are, things such as that, and we're going to go into the motivation and wisdom section. That's something that I had been cutting down, and I thought, if I got that down to five minutes. But ultimately, if you need it, I mean, if you don't like the show, you can obviously just quit, hit stop. It's not, it's not, (laughs) this isn't like... I don't know why I've been limiting myself, I guess. It seems silly looking back at it now, but I guess we all go through these growth phases. And I think part of it was insecurity. Part of it was I thought if I just got the show good enough, it would just it would just go viral. And everyone would just think that, what a great show. But, you know, the show is like life. And life is messy. And life is real. And I do work a day job. I do have a family. And I don't have the time to try to compress... And I could just feel that tension in the past few months with my family as it's taken longer. I know it sounds insane to think it takes longer to make a 30 to 40 minute show than it does to just talk about the things that you want to talk about. But it really does. It takes like a lot more time and it's not as much fun and it's not as real. I mean, I'm not some Dan Rather newscaster who's reading something perfect. I'm just a guy who served some time in the Marines. I care about the defense situation across the world. I care about our military. I care a lot about what's happening in Ukraine. I care a lot about what's happening in China. And I'm just here to talk about it. And I think most of the people who are here want to hear that stuff. I think, you know, obviously I'm kind of the guy that I didn't come from much, come from a pretty poor background, rough inner city school. My dad got hurt bad when I was a young kid. He fell and broke his back. We didn't have much money. We had to rely on some church, um, I guess, um, gratitude or gifts. I don't know the right way to say it, but, you know, we didn't have much money. And so all my life, I've cared a lot about motivating, you know, myself and believing I could reach higher goals. And I like sharing that stuff. And I know there's some people that need it. Maybe you're not that person, but I feel led to share that stuff. It's helped me get where what what little I've achieved, but I have, you know, done pretty well in the Marine Corps. I did get sergeant. I did win Marine of the Quarter for the entire 2nd Marine Division, which involved lots of bru- just brutal and grueling boards. I did get through college three and a half years, pretty good GPA, 3.67 while working, you know, 20 to 30 hours a week as a married man. So I've done a few things, nothing major, but I only did those things because I did believe, because I did have faith, because I did try to motivate myself, because I did read books about motivation and trying to reach your dreams. So I know there are people out there that are in tough situations and live in trailer parks and they live in, you know, assisted, you know, housing that is from the government and they don't have leaders around them. They don't have good influences. And I want to help some of those people because there are people that helped me along the way. So I'm not going to compress the motivation and wisdom section to five minutes to try to make some perfect show because there's someone out there that needs to hear some of this stuff. So I've made my point. I uh, probably ran longer than I wanted to. 
But I wanted to speak from the heart, and I wanted to be honest. So I have been honest, and I have spoken from the heart. Now we'll get into some defense news, which is what I know why most of you are here. We'll begin the show by talking about the big news out of Russia today. I'm recording this on Wednesday evening, relatively early Wednesday evening. And it's not confirmed yet, but it's pretty likely that Prigozhin, who was the head of the Wagner military contractor company, Russian company, that uh, the head of it, Prigozhin, was the guy who infamously led that, basically a coup attempt, uh, moving the troops away from the front line, from the rear areas, to ward Moscow, and everyone thought that this coup was going to happen, and then he was talked out of it, and everyone said, almost immediately after that happened, Belarus had help negotiate an end to that drama. But everyone said after that, this guy's like a dead man walking. So Prigozhin was listed on a plane of 10 that was flying and has crashed. 100% sure the plane crashed. Video shows a wing missing. It's not a normal looking crash that you would see from a jet. The jet was between 29,000 and 30,000 feet high. Most of the time when there's a crash with something like that, you know, a plane kind of glides down and explodes. This one is kind of falling like a brick. There appears to have been an explosion. Some people think it was anti-air missiles. There's some video that maybe implies that or shows that. Definitely some kind of an explosion. Maybe there was a bomb on the plane. A lot of unknowns on Wednesday night. But what is known is that Prigozhin was definitely on the flight list, and most Russian military bloggers and analysts are talking about him being dead. Wagner has not confirmed it, but they have confirmed he was one of the ten on the plane flight list. The latest from the Washington Post is that he was listed, but he has numerous uh, you know, IDs. And he often will mask where he's going. So, who knows exactly what happened. Either Putin got him or he planned the best, you know, self-murder that we've seen in a while. I'm sure more more facts will come out in the coming hours, for sure. But definitely the coming days. A lot of people are talking about it. So, we're not sure what's going to happen. But that is a big story that I at least wanted to get in and lead with. Even though the facts aren't 100% certain, but it does look like Prigozhin is likely dead. So that's the first story. Let's get that one in and let's move on to some more stories that we're more certain of. The next big story that I wanted to make sure we talked about this podcast episode was that Ukraine will finally get the F-16s that they've wanted. I'm sure by now most of the folks listening to this have seen that news. It's a couple of days or so old, but... Still lots of details being worked out as far as numbers. Absolute best case, I've seen as high as 40, but it's a little bit complicated getting to that number. One story in Reuters said that Denmark will deliver 19 jets in total, initially with six due about the end of the year, followed by eight in 2024, five in 2025. Then the Netherlands has 42 of them, They're definitely going to be donating some. Not sure how many. So you'll see different numbers 
What is for sure is that this will not be any kind of silver bullet in the short term. It will not be part of any counteroffensive. It will unfortunately take months. There's six or eight pilots being trained in, in Denmark. There's also been some talk about some training happening in Romania. There's also some talk of a couple other countries. Defense officials in the United States had said that you, uh, Ukraine could possibly be using F-16s by next year. Ukraine has said that it might take six months of training for pilots and they got to train the engineers and the mechanics, but they're hoping that they can be done a little bit sooner. But, you know, Ukraine is able to speed up the timeline on a lot of these things. So we're not real sure, but it is big news. I think the bigger point is that this is a just further evidence that Ukraine's military is continuing to grow stronger and ascend in its powers and capabilities. And Ukraine has looked at this after realizing they weren't going to get them for this offensive, that this is more about the long term. This is more about better air defense around the capital of Kiev. This is about a further step closer to getting into NATO and having NATO aircraft that Ukraine can operate. So it's definitely good news, but it's not you know, it's not anything that's going to change anything for this year. That's for sure. Now, on this next section, I'm going to begin kind of in the weeds, and then we're going to go to big picture. So we're going to, and on the big picture, we're going to talk about the counteroffensive and two opposing views, where there are those from the West who seem to be convinced that the counteroffensive isn't going to work, and there's some people talking about we need to talk about peace between Russia and Ukraine. And then I'm going to share an article that aligns a bit more with my view, which is that I think a lot of these moves are about to add up, and I'm still optimistic. So I say that every week. So I just want to give you both sides of that. But before we get to that, it's best to set this up by starting with a few things in the weeds, in the weeds, so to speak, or really low level. The first little bit of that low level thing is Ukraine destroyed an S-400, which is one of Russia's premier air defense anti-air systems. I've got video to that in the source notes if you want to see it. It is a spectacular explosion. It was down on the Crimean Peninsula. It was a very importantly strategically placed air defense system, which was helping maintain Russian control of the aerial space. So the fact that this thing was knocked out and that it was one of Russia's key strategic anti-air systems is big but what's even bigger is the fact it was videoed and a couple of other little things and so I want to share some analysis from someone other than myself so you can hear what they say about the strike again you can watch the video in the source notes but these points are, are, are really well made and I just don't want to say what other people are saying I want to give them credit for saying it so I think this is worth sharing and before I press play this is from some reporters from the podcast of The Telegraph, that's a UK podcast. The name of the podcast is Ukraine, the latest, and I'll put the link to it in the source notes. But this is really good stuff, so take a listen to this. But let's stay in the south and drop down to Crimea now, and a Russian S-400 air defense system at Olenivka, that's the the most westerly point of the peninsula, which is or, or was probably there to protect Sevastopol, that's been destroyed by a long-range strike. So it's about 100 k's directly due south of Hezon City, so a long-range strike. 
very dramatic footage released this morning shows the the whole installation exploding very dramatic so i've got two things about that firstly something's obviously got through the russian air defense network again probably missiles but but it could be drones probably missiles so it's an air defense system and yet something got through so i mean these are these are new ish but they're the best ones they got the s400s why they why they're not able to protect themselves, let alone... I mean, I'm guessing they're there to protect the, the approaches to Sevastopol, but something got through again. And then the second thing is, the fact that we can see these images means that there was, in all likelihood, a drone, but something there filming it for us to be able to see it. And so that thing was there because it shows the initial explosion. So it was there before the site was hit. So that system was working you know slash it they might not switch it on but the, the site was there and should have been functioning and yet you've got a drone in the air filming the strike that's about to about to hit it i just don't understand why the drone was not seen and shot down or jammed by electronic warfare and how the missiles got through i mean they're big questions here for russian air defenders but it does continue the the pattern of recent long-range strikes as the as the counteroffensive is slow or as expected to get through the, the very, very dense Russian minefields down south. They have shifted tactics about six weeks ago, you may remember, to, to keep to keep pushing on south, but also to, to go for those long-range strikes, to get rid of the ammo dumps, the fuel supplies, the headquarters, that kind of thing, so that the the area at the front are denuded of power, fuel and, and weapons. So I think that continues that pattern. Are those not some excellent points, though? I just want to know, you know, the same thing that, the same questions he has. Why, why is there a drone flying over this thing? Why does this system not even try to engage incoming missiles? These S-400s go so far into the sky. They're almost like ballistic missiles. They can go 30, 40, 50,000 square feet up. So it should have known something was coming. Not real sure what hit it. But again, why did was there nothing to protect the area from even smaller drones none of the electron you know electronic signal jamming stuff that russia does have some of the decent equipment in that regard it's just a, there's a lot of questions but there's no doubt that this system was destroyed ukraine says that the crew was killed as well and that is perhaps almost as valuable especially in a country of conscripts like russia taking out the crew is almost as important or more important than taking out the weapon so not a good not a good day for russia on on this little specific piece of news the other small in the weeds thing i wanted to share and this is just another story that you're just like how does this happen but literally a russian helicopter pilot has defected to ukraine and what's the craziest part of it is this is apparently a six-month operation that had happened. This Russian pilot has Ukrainian intelligence reach out to him and help convince him to do what ends up happening. But they first move the pilot's family to Ukraine as part of this defection operation, and they say, hey, you can come join him. And so this pilot loads up a Russian helicopter with lots of spare parts to fighter jets su-27 and su-30 fighter jet parts both of which by the way are desperately needed in ukraine as they continue to salvage jets and try to keep things flying so this pilot steals a helicopter an mi-8 which is a pretty valuable 
uh, aircraft on its own, loads it with some parts, and flies to Ukraine. Ukraine knows it's coming, so they don't shoot it down. This was all planned. Again, it's about a six-month operation, and they they pulled off what is just, you know, that is just an amazing win, is it not? I think we constantly underestimate how well Ukraine's intelligence services are doing. And in fact, the next thing I wanted to bring up before we get back to the strategic stuff involves Ukrainian intelligence. The other big win in the weeds, so to speak, by Ukrainian intelligence is Ukraine used a drone to fly into Russia and destroy one of their Russian supersonic bombers. These are the Tu-22M3. NATO calls it the backfire but it's literally a supersonic jet. One of Russia's most potent aircraft has been used extensively, or aircraft such as this have been used extensively in the bombing campaign of Ukraine. They will go up in the air. They carry these very large, various missiles, but like an Excalibur or some other missiles, depending on the attack. They've been used to hit civilian targets in Ukraine, and they reach very high speed, they launch these weapons from Russian airspace, and Ukraine has, you know, done its best to shoot down the missiles that come in. But Ukraine literally destroyed one of these inside Russia. I tried to find the value of one of these jets. There's only, like I said, 60 of them. I couldn't exactly find what they are worth, but it's certainly probably $50 million or $100 million. These are very valuable aircraft. But they hit this supersonic jet 400 miles from the border of Ukraine and the most embarrassing thing about it is that it was hit with a quadcopter just those regular we've seen how many videos have we seen of these quadcopter drones in Ukraine that drop hand grenades sometimes they drop the 40 millimeter grenades it's just unbelievably embarrassing because even Russia is admitting that this quadcopter was almost certainly launched from inside Russia because it doesn't have the range to reach Russia from Ukraine. So, yet again, apparently Russia can't secure its borders. It can't keep its pilots from leaving. It can't keep the Russian pilots' families from leaving. They can't defend airfields of supersonic jet fighters from quadcopters. It's just unbelievably embarrassing. And this goes on top of the last I saw was six days. I believe it's now been seven days since the article I read. But Ukraine has successfully used drones to attack the capital of Russia, obviously Moscow, for six days. I think it's seven now. Seven days in a row. And Putin continues to move more and more air defense around to his capital. But it's unbelievable just watching the videos of Russian civilians in their business district. And I gotta be honest, I was a little stunned at how nice some of these skyscrapers are and how well dressed and hip some of these people are. But you will see them coming out of the buildings, having to stop work. They're all on their phones looking around, and there are these drone attacks happening. Now, they're not major drone attacks, probably more of an annoyance or an embarrassment for Putin than anything else. But, you know, it doesn't matter how much Putin talks about the wars going his way. There are just constant little things like this happening where the Russian people have to say, this little operation we're talking about down in Ukraine that Putin doesn't like to talk about 
sure seems like it's not going very well. So I wanted to get in the weeds and cover those things very quickly because they set up this huge debate. I would loosely term this debate, you know, what is going on with Ukraine's counteroffensive? Is it stuck and mired down or is it about to pay off? And I feel like every week for the past three or four weeks, maybe five or six, but at least the last month or so, I've talked about this a lot. And there seems to be a lot of very strong feelings on both sides. I've been sharing my views on it, but interestingly, this week, the fight, so to speak, as to whether it's being successful or not, really burst out into the open. And so I want to share two competing views And that way you guys can hear both sides of it. Neither of these are my opinions. These are just two competing views. And then I'll share something from General Mark Hurtling. He was a, I guess, cautious skeptic of any chance of success at the beginning of the counteroffensive before it even launched way back in the spring when we were all still worrying about Russian drone attacks on Ukrainian electrical and power stations and worried about the winter and could Russian civilians get, or Ukrainian civilians get through the hard winter back when we were all talking about that and even almost just dreaming of the chance of a counteroffensive general mark hurtling took a very cautious skeptical view of it which i didn't agree with but how can i possibly disagree with someone who's commanded as large of forces as he has but that's that's how it is in america we can all have first amendment <laughs> abilities to to say what we think but i want to share his view as well now that we're a couple of good months into this counteroffensive so i'm going to share three things the this isn't going well the this is about to set something up and then we'll we'll share general mark hurtling which is probably middle-ish ground if i had to try to judge it correctly first though the washington post article the headline for the piece is Ukraine's hopes for maximal victory look remote. And it's under the headline, it says analysis and names the reporter. And here are, I just want to read a couple of paragraphs. And there are several links in the paragraph to other reporting. So this analysis piece is well-researched, but it's a couple of just brutal paragraphs. So this is the absolute... Ukraine is not winning on the counteroffensive argument. So if you'll bear with me a second, let me read this. Everyone expected Ukraine's counteroffensive against Russian positions to be tough, but perhaps not as tough as it has been. After more than two months of attritional warfare across a vast front line stretching from the country's east to the south, Kiev's forces, Kiev is the capital of Ukraine, so Ukraine's forces have yet to forge any major breakthroughs While exacting a grievous toll on the invading Russians, they have sustained significant casualties and found themselves bogged down by a thicket of Russian minefields, trenches, and other fortifications. Their gains have been only incremental, no matter the billions of dollars in Western aid invested in preparing Ukraine's push to reclaim lost territory. The difficulties, my colleagues reported at the end of last week, have led the U.S. intelligence community to conclude that the Ukrainian counteroffensive will fall short of at least one of its key goals, reaching the key southeastern city city of Melitopol. It is a finding that, should it prove correct, would mean Ukraine won't fulfill its principal objective of severing Russia's land bridge to Crimea 
in this year's push. Now, Melitopol, we haven't used that term a lot, but it is a, a large city, a hub of some rail and, and roads that would lead to the cutting off of the land bridge in the Zaporizhia region. That's the term I've mostly been using in the past few weeks is, is the Zaporizhia front. But they name a city, and as as they literally just said, doesn't look good for Ukraine. So that's the not-so-great view or the negative view. Here is the flip side of that argument. Now, this is written by two gentlemen, Jonathan Sweet and Mark Toth. Jonathan Sweet's a retired Army colonel, 30-year military intelligence officer, led the U.S. European Command Intelligence Engagement Division from 2012 to 2014. So you got a a gentleman who's a retired Army officer, 30-plus years, and then you've got Mark Toth is... He puts as his bio that he's an economist, an entrepreneur, and a former uh, board member of the World Trade Center in St. Louis. So you got an economist, and you've got a retired military officer. And here is their article. I've got a link to it in the source notes if you want to read it. The entire thing's worth reading. They really go after uh, Washington and the Pentagon and Biden for not supporting Ukraine more. But there's a part of their article where they literally address the article from the Washington Post. So that's the part I really want to focus on. I'm not going to get into the politics of President Biden and and some of the decisions made, at least not today's podcast. But let me just give you the counter view from, again, Jonathan Sweet and Mark Toth. Here is their article. Quote, Although the Washington Post continues to report that Ukraine's counteroffensive is, quote, running out of options, end quote, some reports from the battlefield suggest otherwise. Ukraine continues to hold its own in Kupiansk and Bakhmut and is striking deep into Russia. The two authors then mention both the strikes against the capital, which we talked about earlier in the podcast, and they also talk about the destruction of that supersonic bomber, which, of course, we covered that as well. Now, going back to the article. Quote, Tactically, Ukraine is advancing southward toward Melitopol, having achieved operational successes in Tokmok and Robotan. Kiev, or Ukraine, Kiev is systematically isolating Crimea with deep strikes on the Kerch Strait and Chohor bridges, We've talked about both of those, and seaports along the Crimean and Russian coast. The success or failure of Ukraine's counteroffensives must be measured in its entirety, not just in the trenches and minefields. The Biden administration appears to be ignoring the deep fight, interdiction, defeating Russia's ability to wage war, and that affords the Kremlin sanctuary to mass personnel and equipment on the Russian side of the border, potentially prolonging the conflict. Restricting Ukraine from targeting Russian forces in Russia with U.S. weapons allows Putin to continue to launch drone and missile attacks against civilian targets in Ukraine, largely without recourse, as he did, and they mentioned the town Chernihiv last Saturday, killing five and wounding 37, including 11 children. Then they talk about some of the weapon systems, uh, the ATACMs, that could be part of the solution. Those are long-range shells. But for now, the White House seems content with allocating defensive weapons, such as air defense systems, instead of permanently removing Russian weapon systems from the battlefield. 
So I think their article does a good job of reminding us of the bigger picture. We, For those who missed it, we talked about the ship that was hit recently. We've talked about naval attacks on Russian shipping in previous months. You got the S-400 getting hit. You got Russian pilots flying helicopters across the border with spare parts. You've got Prigozhin either taken out or attempted to have been taken out by Russia. You had a coup attempt a couple of months ago. This has barely made the news, but Russia's central bank literally on August 15th, less than a week ago, raised the interest rate by 3.5 percentage points. It's up to 12% as their economy struggles with both the war and all of these sanctions. So you've got to ask yourself, if you're in Russia and if you're Putin, and like, this is not a, things are not going well. It's, you can certainly say that Ukraine hasn't been advancing as fast as Ukraine would like, but if you're looking at this from a strategic perspective, it sure seems like that Ukraine is slowly but surely choking off these invaders in the south and in the Crimean Peninsula area and all of the Russian ability. They, they can't even control the Black Sea or the Sea of Azov. I wouldn't want to be a Russian general right now, that's for sure. Now, as promised, I said I would share General Mark Hurtland's views of the counteroffensive and a small prediction from him, so let's get to that now. But as background, remember... He said from the beginning he didn't have huge hopes that this was going to be a lot more difficult than anyone wanted and that a lot of us, probably including myself, who were cheerleaders, were getting our hopes up. So he has been right about a lot of things. And when he said that many months ago, it was kind of soul-crushing for me as I've pulled for the Ukrainian people and their military so hard as they've dealt with these just unfortunate and horrific circumstances with these Russian aggressors, but let me just share what General Hurtling's latest statements on it are. And this is from uh, August 21st. He shared this on Twitter. And yes, I will continue to call it Twitter until it dies, because it's like an old bar. You, you, you can get a new owner, and you can change the name, but the locals will always use the old bar name. So it is Twitter. So side, sidebar there. But here's what General Mark Hurtling said. He reminds us that it's hard to talk about pace or how fast something should or shouldn't happen. And as he describes it, that there are no magic potions and units and equipments and leaders and conditions that guarantee success and that the enemy always gets a vote. So all those things taken for granted and that the only person who can truly know what's going on is the, the head of the Ukrainian army because they have more more military facts as to what's actually happening than any of us do through open source reporting. We're all basically trying to guess and we can't really discern what units have been moved where as far as some of those that are being held in reserve. But here's what General Mark Hurtling said. He talks about that luck, adaptability, recent, quote, scar tissue, and learning are going to play a part and that at any time, a bit of luck the massing of forces on the right terrain, a snap decision on the part of a risk-taking leader, all of those things can turn a slow advance into a breakthrough. And he thinks this is something that could happen with Ukrainian forces. And he throws out the following predictions. That Ukraine could see 
a significant tactical breakthrough on one or two axes of advance in the next few weeks. And he mentions that that would probably be on the eastern and southeastern fronts of Zaporizhia. We've talked about Zaporizhia a lot, but also possibly on the eastern front. Doesn't name it, but might be talking about Bakhmut. There's a lot of fighting happening up there. But I did want to share that General Mark Hurtling, who has been right about this, unfortunately, most of the most of the war, but he, he's predicting a potential breakthrough. So that's that's where I'm at. I've said that all along, and you guys hear me say it every single week. I keep waiting for it to happen. Ukraine has a lot more to fight for, and I just think that their morale is higher, their equipment is better, and I think the Russians have just been getting pounded. And I just I have faith in the Ukrainian people. Every every time anyone has counted them out or voted against them on what they've said, it's it's like going against some ball team that you can't stand, whether it's like Belichick and the Patriots when they were at their best or the Yankees on some years. It's just the Ukrainians have continued to outperform what anyone would expect, and I still think that's what's going to happen. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, I want to share two more things before we get to the motivation and wisdom section. The first one is just something that I don't want to give too much away, but why negotiating would be just a horrible mistake and why Ukraine shouldn't negotiate with Russia at this point. I'll share that. And then also, the United States Congress is about to vote on another supplemental package for Ukraine. And there's going to be a lot of debate on that. And I do think it's going to pass, but there is a great thread that was shared on Twitter that I do want to share a few points that debunk some of the most common myths about the money and the support that we're sending Ukraine. And I wanted to share that because there are several of them that just really hit home that I think you guys need to hear. But first, this small break. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to and would like to help support the show, you can do so by signing up as a monthly paying subscriber. For $5 per month, you can help us sustain, grow, and improve the show. There are so many things I'd like to do to improve the podcast and my outreach, but these things take time and resources. As you can probably tell, I truly do believe in trying to highlight what our military troops are doing around the world, unite our country, and remind us of how lucky we are to live in America, and share plenty of motivation and wisdom at the end of each episode. Again, you can help support the show for only $5 per month. Come and go as you wish. You can find all the details on my Substack page. That's stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Or just find it in the episode notes. Thanks so much, guys. Now, the first thing I wanted to share about why negotiating a peace deal with Russia is a terrible mistake is there is just a touching video that is not professionally produced. You can tell soldiers recorded this, but Ukrainian forces recently recaptured the majority, if not the entirety, of Robotan in the Zaporizhia region. And there's a video that I've put in the episode notes that you almost have to watch. It's like two minutes, 40 seconds long. But watching the joy of these Ukrainian citizens who have been behind, I would say Russian lines, which it kind of is, but these were Russian troops on occupied Ukrainian soil. So these invaders had cut off Ukrainian citizens from those 
that they loved. And these people were not allowed to leave. They were not allowed to return to Ukraine. They have been in occupied territory that Russia has controlled, which was on Ukrainian land. I want to make sure I'm always very clear of that. So these are Ukrainian citizens who have been controlled by an occupying force. But watching the joy on their face as they are handed cell phones and call family that they probably haven't been able to get in touch with for months and months is just, it is just heart-rendering to even watch it, or heart-rending. And so, if you got a couple minutes and can watch it, it's just a reminder that that is what Ukraine is fighting for, and that's why they can't abandon literally several million people to the Russians. And again, if you're new to the show or you haven't kept up, Russia has already put on trains, many families, and lots of kids to be moved into the inner parts of Russia. Some of them have just gone to camps for a few months to be taught about how great Russia is, since watching their bombed-out towns and villages probably wasn't very persuasive in the way that Putin would prefer. So some of them have been returned. Many have not. These are war crimes, but those who have managed to not have that fate happen to them and have not have managed to not have been either executed or raped or tortured those who are still alive many of them having to having had to pretend to be pro russia so that they wouldn't be tortured or shot watching the liberation of these people who have been through so much and you can tell how impoverished and poor and their clothes are dirty. They don't look like they've showered in a while. These are people in desperate straits. And watching them be rescued is just... You can't watch that and be human and not be moved by it. And so that's why the Ukrainian population as a whole very much supports continued fighting because they want to liberate their fellow family members that are in occupied territory. So I've got that in the source notes for you to watch. It's definitely worth watching, and if you got, like I said, two minutes or so to watch it, watch it. It's not highly produced or anything, it's just real emotions. The final news item that I wanted to share in this episode is what I would just call debunking 10 of the most common myths of U.S. supporting Ukraine. And it's was a, it was a thread on Twitter by a gentleman named Luke Coffey. He's a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute and has been proudly sanctioned by Russia, according to his bio. But he shared 10 myths that have come up a lot by those who are critics of our support of Ukraine, and then he addresses them. So I'm just going to run through them real quick. Myth number one, we're writing blank checks to Ukraine with no oversight. Reality. There has never been more accountability and transparency measures in place for U.S. foreign assistance than what was found in the Ukraine supplemental last May. 10% of the bill was on oversight. Just read it. So that's the first one. The second one, myth number two. We have already given Ukraine $53 billion. Reality. This claim is very misleading. $53 billion in total for both supplementals to date, but billions of dollars go toward other stuff like replenishing U.S. military stocks, deterrence measures outside Ukraine, energy issues, etc. 
Myth number three, Congress hasn't had enough time to debate U.S. aid to Ukraine. Reality, the last supplemental was only 30 pages long. Like the forthcoming supplemental, it also wasn't a surprise. Ukraine has been the most discussed, debated foreign policy issue in America since February. And he means last February. So more than a year, obviously. Year and a half, I'd say. Myth number four. This money to Ukraine would be better spent on the wall or baby formula or whatever. Reality. Frankly, this argument is so moronic, I'm not even going to address it. Myth number five, Europe needs to spend more. Reality, as a percent of GDP, Estonia, Latvia, Poland, Lithuania, Norway, Slovakia, Czechoslovakia, the UK, and Portugal have given more to Ukraine than the US. Regarding refugee support, the US is at the bottom. Can Europe do more? Yes, but they're already doing a lot. Myth number six, the U.S. should only give, quote, military aid. Reality, it's not just Ukrainian military war with Russia. The whole Ukrainian society is at war. 45% of Ukraine's GDP has been just gone. He says gone, I'd say flushed, due to war. Police, government, etc. must function. Total war requires total government. USAID must be comprehensive, and I totally agree with that. And a good example is, imagine the senior citizens who get a small pension. If suddenly the Ukrainian government can't pay that, then your problems are just so much worse inside Ukraine, both economically and even from a humanitarian perspective. It makes no sense to have a country of 40 million people just completely go off the cliff. Next, myth number seven. U.S. weapons are ending up on the black market and are not getting to the front lines. Reality. There is no evidence weapons are going missing. On the contrary, recent events in Kharkiv and Kherson prove otherwise and also prove the effectiveness of U.S. aid. Myth number eight. No aid until corruption is dealt with. Reality. You must be realistic. Many know corruption is an issue, but even during war, Ukraine has made progress. Demanding major reforms during a war of national survival is like asking to build a ship while already at sea in the middle of a hurricane. Myth number nine, Russia is a distraction. Focused must be on China. Reality, Russia is China's junior partner. A defeated Russia means a weaker China. China is also watching how we support Ukraine, so a strong and victorious Ukraine makes Taiwan stronger. Read more. Uh, he names uh, Mackinder and Les Mahan. But most people don't know who those are. Myth number 10. Aid to Ukraine puts America last. Reality. Many foreign policy, dis uh, many foreign policy challenges we face are too complex to be boiled down to bumper sticker slogans like America first or America last. Anyone using these terms describing the U.S. role in the world knows very little about foreign affairs. And he ends by saying that we need to want Ukraine to win more than we hope that Russia will lose and that America's planning assumption should be to equip Ukraine for a full restoration of its internationally recognized borders, including Crimea. And he ends by saying, arm Ukraine to win not just to survive. So, a great thread by Luke Coffey. 
and I think that will help all of us as we hear some of the criticism that will probably come up in the coming days and weeks for sure. Now let's get to the motivation and wisdom section, which is, of course, one of the best parts of the show. This is the motivation and wisdom section. I share these each week because I strongly believe we could all benefit from a pep talk and from some deep insight and wisdom, all of which is lacking in our hurried, very shallow world. Here is the first one, and this first one is a wisdom one, if you will. It's a way to be more supportive in your communication. I think as I read this list, you're going to find that probably a few of these you are guilty of. So this is a way to have more supportive communication when you're talking with someone who's struggling. So instead of saying, you'll be fine, try saying, I understand. So instead of, you'll be fine, I understand. Instead of, you should, dot, dot, dot. Try saying what makes you feel supported. Isn't that a lot better? Instead of saying it's okay, try saying I'm listening. Instead of saying, and this is the worst one, I once dot dot dot. I mean, all of us have done that, right? Instead of saying that, say tell me more. Instead of saying how are you, just try saying what made you smile today. So those are some ways to have a little bit more supportive communication, and I thought those are worth sharing. Next one. This is a motivational one. Success takes time. Keep grinding. Again, success takes time. Keep grinding. We all want to quit before it's done. Next one. Live your life in such a way that when your name is mentioned, people will smile. It's a good one, isn't it? Next one. It does not matter how slowly you go so long as you do not stop. It's a quote from Confucius. Next one. Don't limit your challenges. Challenge your limits. Next one. You have the power to become anything you dream of, not only today, but every day. This is not done by luck, but through your actions and mindset. Again, you can become anything you dream of, not only today, but every day. This is not done by luck, but through your actions and mindset. Next one. Create a mindset where you think everything is happening in your favor. I like that one. Imagine things that are you need to happen. Imagine those contracts, those sales, those new job opportunities, whatever it is. Imagining that the pieces are being already starting to fall in place out there and they're, they're going to fall in your lap. You're just not quite to that step yet. Next one. This is a quote from Leo Tolstoy, who's obviously the famous Russian novelist. No matter how old or how sick you are, how much or how little you have done, your business in life not only isn't finished, but hasn't yet received its final decisive meaning until your very last breath. It's kind of a deep one, isn't it? Next one. Wise men are not always silent, but they know when to be. It's a good one. Next one. Some of life's best lessons are learned at the worst times. Next one. Don't give up when things get rough. Fight harder. Remember, it always works out in due time. Next one. Do you know of any tree that you plant today which produces fruit overnight? Have faith. That little seed you are planting today will become a giant tree one day. Do your thing. Focus on the process. Work hard. Don't quit. Results will take care of themselves. It's a great one, isn't it? 
Next one, change your language to what if it does work out? Believe in possibilities. Think of the best case scenario. Retraining your mind will lift you higher out of the overthinking, stress, and worry of negative thoughts. Next one, chase your vision. The money will follow. It's a good one. Chase your vision. The money will follow. I think that hits all of us because we all have these dreams that sometimes you look at and you're like, yeah, that's what I want to do, but how does how do I ever get it to monetize and, and pay off? And it's hard to do that. And a lot of times you can't see that path, but you got to start down the path and maybe you can find that way just by getting better at the craft, by studying it more, by talking to those who have made it in that field. All right, next one. Master your mind or it will master you. It's a good one. Next one. Dear past, thank you for all your lessons. Dear future, I am ready. It's a good one, isn't it? Keep pushing forward. Next, if you keep carrying the bricks of your past, you'll keep building the same house. Another good one. Next one, your growth is a continuous process. Next one, silence is the best response to a fool. We all forget that one, do we not? Okay, the next one goes, you are loved. You are someone's favorite person. The way you laugh, your kind heart, your sense of humor, the way you make problems melt away with a loving hug or a shoulder to cry on. You are important to more people than you even know. And it's tough to remember that sometimes, but it is true. You are loved, you are needed, you are appreciated for simply being you. All of us forget that one, do we not? Next one. Consistency is the answer to all your problems. Show up every day. Put in the reps, and you'll work it out. Next one, set a goal, make a plan, stay focused, work hard, succeed, stay humble. Next one, another quote by Confucius. A man is great, not because he hasn't failed. A man is great because failure hasn't stopped him. Next one, quote from uh, Muhammad Ali. Don't count the days, make the days count. Next one. Do not worry if your path seems lonely right now. You are simply removing energies that no longer match the frequency of your future. You will soon attract people who truly deserve to walk that path with you. Next one. Refuse to allow any thoughts based on your past to define you. Next one. Let your past make you better, not bitter. We've probably heard that one before, but it's always good to remember that one. Next one. There are two primary choices in life. To accept conditions as they exist or accept the responsibility for changing them. It's a good one, isn't it? Okay, so let's do two from the Bible and we will wrap this part up. First one is from Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Again, for God is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Next one. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And that's from 2 Timothy verse 1. Again, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I think we could all use a little bit more power, love, and self-discipline, right? And not be timid. I think that's a good one to end with from the Bible at least. We'll do one more.
I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a good one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. So many men and women have sacrificed, fought, and died to keep this country together the past 240 years. Please work daily to unite our country again. The vast majority of Americans are decent, loving, great people. Also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. For those who are listening for the first time, let me say a bit more about myself and the podcast. My name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior infantry Marine who dropped the sword and picked up the pen. After joining the Marine Corps at the age of 17 to serve four years in the infantry, I exited military service, earned a degree, and spent 10-plus years in the news business, initially as a reporter, but then going on to start a weekly newspaper in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013. But once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 12 books, and while it's true I'm still writing, I'm now here as well, a once-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I do think that much can be gained from discussing these issues and creating a community where we intelligently discuss the troubles confronting us and where we work to come closer together and respect each other's views with more patience and kindness. A house divided cannot stand, and I strongly believe that more unites us than divides us. I will not remain silent while politicians, seeking their own personal gain, try to throw gas on a dangerous fire, doing their best to tear apart this country so that they can advance to a higher office. We face great challenges as a country, but America has stood together for more than 240 years, and it's only together that we can pass on a better future for our kids. So let's get a little better informed, and let's work to get a little more united as a people. Thank you for being patient and allowing me to share that monologue. I think it's important people hear what I'm about, and I think it's also important my regular listeners hear this message enough that it sinks in, that it affects what they believe, that it affects how they act. We need to hold and cherish the beliefs that got us here today, beliefs such as kindness, patience, and a strong belief that our best days lie before us. These are the beliefs that got us to this point, and they're also the beliefs that will get us to a brighter future. Thanks again for your patience and for listening. I know it's not the sort of fast-paced, really hip, Twitter-friendly, TikTok-cool message that fits most podcasts that go viral, but maybe we've got a few too many podcasts that are like that. Maybe we need to go back to something deeper, to something firmer and more solid, to something we can build a foundation from, and that's what I'm offering. Now, we're almost to the end of the show, and I'd be a fool not to mention my books. I write fast-paced books, and when I say fast-paced, I mean like really fast-paced books. And if you read the reviews, people say they are gripping, compelling, and full of twists and turns. I've written a dozen books to date, and I've been fortunate to have sold more than 70,000 copies. 
And guys, these are independently published. There isn't some big company pushing these. These are straight up word of mouth sales. So if you're one of those who've bought a, a book or more than one book, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. If you're one of those folks who've just shared links or told others about me, it's a great way to support the show. All of my books can be found on Amazon, and they are primarily about military thrillers. I've got a series about a Marine Corps sniper. I've got some police detective ones, but you can find all of them on Amazon just by searching my name, Stan R. Mitchell. Make sure you include the R. You will find them no problem. You will see they all have averages of more than four, uh, four plus stars and thousands of reviews on them. So they're great gifts. They're also great for yourself if you're interested in them. So thanks so much, guys, for sticking it out with me. I hope you got something from the show, and I look forward to seeing you guys here, same time, same place, next Thursday.